Hi guys, this podcast is brought to you by Pencil Pay. Take your wholesale account applications online and control when you get paid. Welcome to Product Hub. I'm your host, Tim Dimitriou. And in this episode, we interview Nick Sandry. He's the founder of Richmond-based craft brewery, Molly Rose Brewing. We talk about product experimentation and design, growth, and beer versus wine. The way Nick talks about the creative aspect of beer production, as well as the commercial aspect, gives us great insight into the challenges and benefits of being nimble. So for those involved in brewing and those that aren't, listen in and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Guys, we've got um, we've got Nick from Molly Rose. Now, Molly Rose is a, a brewery. It's based in Richmond in Melbourne, Australia, and it's um, a fantastic brewery. Molly Rose is actually one of our customers, and um, welcome, Nick. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So, mate, um, give us a little bit of a rundown on the business. I know that um, I know that you know we've been we've been kind of um, looking after you guys for about a year now. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about the story of how you got started in the business, and if you can give everyone a bit of a rundown on on what the business is, and and yeah, yeah, sure can. So. Um... I guess we'll, we'll go back a few steps. I, uh, I've been a brewer my whole working career. Uh, went from studying science at university to studying brewing at university and then into working for breweries like Little Creatures, Stonewood and Holgate. Can I just stop you there for one second? You said that you um, you studied science at university? Yeah. It's really interesting. We had... Um, we had uh, we had guy from Stomping Ground here a couple of weeks ago, and he was a, a I think a chemical engineer as well. So he did the chemical engineering at university. So yeah, it's just funny. Anyway, anyway, keep going. Um, so yeah, worked for a lot of other breweries, making lots of different beers. Uh, pretty good fun, but always realised that I kind of wanted to have my own business, um, and kind of got to the point where I go, all right, it's time to jump in and give it a crack. So I quit my job, and uh, I actually went travelling for four months around the world. On a bit of a sabbatical investigating beer cultures and traditions. Yeah. Um, and that was good fun. So I went to Japan and the States and all over Europe, just getting out, tasting a whole bunch of beer, eating food, seeing how people do it. Uh, in Australia, we've got a pretty young beer culture, um, pretty young everything culture compared mm-hmm. to the rest of the world. But uh, yeah, you look at some of the places like Germany, Belgium, England been making beer for a long time and serving it to their community really interesting really fun beers that goes with their food goes with good times yeah. um so i wanted to bring back some new ideas for molly rose and i got back and because i've just been on a four-month trip around the world drinking beer i didn't have any money to start a business so i uh, decided to start molly rose with a subscription mm-hmm. uh so we sold six beers uh each with a unique story and a unique flavor uh kind of telling a part of how myself and Molly Rose have got to that point. So did a beer that we just released called Kuro, which is a Japanese dark lager based on Japanese food. It's a blend of uh, savory and sweet. And uh, yeah, it's one of our more popular beers. Uh, and yeah, that was that was one that we, we launched with. Um, so then kind of rolled them out, made a few more batches of beer with the money that I made from that subscription. Uh, we're talking like 200 litre batches of beer here that I, I would yep. spend two or three days to make each batch and then two or three days to bottle each batch and then two or three days to label each. It was full on, hands on. Labor intensive. Labor intensive. How many subscriptions did you have, say, in the first six months or so? Yeah, so we sold 150 of them, which was fantastic. We, we somehow garnered a bit of support from amongst friends and family and friends of friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 
yeah, won a couple of awards for some of those beers that I'd brewed uh, and um, convinced some friends and family to give me a little bit of money and we uh, we leased the warehouse that we've got on Wellington Street Yep. Um, and started building the brewery myself. Uh, so I built the brewery myself. In 2018, we took the lease and we opened in 2019 in June. Um, and so it's a 200 square meter warehouse. We make the beer up the back Monday to Wednesday and uh, Thursday to Sunday, we pack the brewery stuff up to the side, tidy everything up, mop the floors quickly, and then we open the doors and let um, let customers in. Yeah, cool. So, so uh, you were telling me before that um, you were telling me before that you've um, you guys have um, taken some more space as well. So yeah. can you can you give me can you give us a bit of a rundown on on the extra space and kind of when that's going to be open, all that type of thing? Yeah. Yep. Um, so. We've taken over the building next door. Or is it supposed to be a secret? No. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a secret. Yeah, I haven't announced it yet because everything takes longer than, than it should. It does. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we take, we're taking the space next door uh, and we're, we're planning on putting a full kitchen in, uh, a bit of a cocktail, wine bar type thing, but focusing on beer, obviously. Uh, and then, yeah, nice big beer garden as well. Yeah, sick. Uh, awesome. So hopefully open before the end of the year. Fingers crossed. End of the financial year or end of the end of the calendar year. Fine, uh, calendar. 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 Yeah. <laughs> it, it is construction. It t- always takes uh, always so. takes another exactly. another six months. So, um, cool. So Japan. Can you run me through? So you, you said you, you travelled to Japan. It's pretty interesting. Tell me the um, the beer culture in comparison to say the US or Australia. Can you give me a bit of a rundown on? on the core differences that you saw? Yeah, so craft beer is pretty young in Japan. They've got uh, quite expensive tax on their beer like we do here, except it's probably a little bit more. Yep. Um, but they can't... Uh, I don't know. Have you been to Have you been to Japan? I haven't, no. Oh, okay. But you, I'm sure you've eaten Japanese food and oh, yeah. know, know a little bit about the culture. They're, they're, they are artisans. Whatever they want to do, uh, Japanese people tend to focus in on like one narrow thing and just do the absolute best, spend 50 years trying to make the best ramen noodles. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's no surprise that that's switched across onto craft beer as well because it is an artisanal type thing. But they've also got this long history of sake uh, and lots of other booze. So yeah, food and drink are really important to Japanese culture and it was, it was great to go over there and just be immersed in like really passionate people who are trying to nail down their chosen path uh, and yeah, share some of their experiences. And in terms of the, the the type of beers that you experienced over there, obviously in I know in the US it's very hoppy kind of you know very hoppy kind of very different flavour to what we're used to here. Um, what's the, what was the, what was the Japanese experience then, and and and, and what is it now? Um, so. Japanese regular beer is kind of like lagers. Lager, they do like yeah. dark lager and pale lagers. Uh, the craft beer is very much influenced by the American scene, like most craft beer around the world mm-hmm. uh, is heavily influenced by the American scene. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of hoppy stuff, a lot of um, interesting things like that. But then they reach across to Europe and they do a bit of Belgian things. They also um, start – I saw a little bit of uh, kind of using – ingredients that are core to Japanese cooking, like the plums and the cherry leaves and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so they're, they're reaching back into their own culture to bring it forward to craft beer. But uh, in terms of volume, when I was over there, I don't know now, but when I was over there, it was about a quarter of the volume uh, in terms of... Uh, a quarter of the total volume? So 
So I took a quarter of the volume of Australia's craft beer. Okay. So the, the scene is much, much smaller. It's about 25% of what we've got here in terms of craft beer. Uh, but it was great fast. Okay, so yeah, they're probably, if you think about their beer, I mean, their beers are so famous and popular. Some of their mainstream beers would be, no doubt, their, their core sellers and then yeah. the, all, everything else would be laggy behind. Yeah, I'd say. exactly. Yeah, exactly. cool. Um, your wife is a winemaker. Yes. Um, uh, which which winery and uh, and what kind of wine does she make? Yeah, so uh, she's got Pachamama Wines and Cloak and Dagger. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they they use a um, a technique where they they don't own a vineyard. They work with specific growers, and they have done for a long time. And they source from they source from the best regions they can find. So they go to Heathcote Shiraz because. It's awesome. Bloody great. Uh, a Pinot from the Yarra and a Yarra, uh, Chardonnay from the Yarra. Uh, King Valley, San Giovese and Pinot Grigio. Mm-hmm. Uh, Central Vic, Pinot Gris, kind of like they go around sourcing the best locations. Um, and then they bring it all into a central winery, which is uh, out in Warrandyte at the moment, and they make the wines. Yeah, cool. Mm. Awesome. And um, you worked at Little Creatures when, yes. when you're obviously coming up. I always think about the um, I always think about the the way that people learnt their craft. I think that um, you know when I was growing up, I was in hospitality for a lot of years, and you know I was I learnt my craft from you know someone that you might consider like a second father kind of thing. And I think a lot of guys as they as they're coming through, they kind of have the same relationship with people where you've got this um, this other person that kind of teaches you over a number of years. Um, can you run me through your experience in learning how to, you know, learning your craft and learning how to brew beer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess Little Creatures was a pretty big company when I was there and I had that job while I was at uni. So I was working four days a week and then going to uni as well. In that packaging hall, it was a really big company. Uh, it's just after Lion bought them actually. Probably where I learned my craft and where I was most heavily influenced was my next job, um, uh, which is at Stonerwood in Byron Bay. Mm-hmm. So I was the 14th employee there uh, and I was the fifth brewer hired so it was very early on in their, their experience so I mean Brad Rogers was very influential he's the, the brewer founder of one of the founders of Stone and Wood um, heavyweight of the Australian beer industry a lot of people have uh, been mentored by Brad but yeah I was really lucky to spend a fair bit of time with him uh, as I was learning the skills and um, he's actually a winemaker by, um, by mm-hmm. trade and so a lot of his um uh, ethos, I guess, when we talk about beer, his beer ethos is to make sure that everything is balanced and make sure that every element of the beer is balanced. And that's that's very much how we go out brewing beer at Molly Rose, is making sure that it's balanced and approachable, um, which I think is, a, is a, a way that winemakers think about making wine, is make sure that the tannin is in balance with the acid and the, the fruit is in balance and that everything is in balance. Uh, whereas in beer, a lot of people just kind of throw things together and go for go for bang. Yeah, I was going to say, do enough brewers have a think about balance or are they very um, kind of uh, like a lot of their personality shows through in, in their beer? Um, look, there's a, your... lot, there's a lot of great brewers out there now in Australia. Maybe 10, 15 years ago, there yep. weren't as many. Uh, but yeah, a lot, a lot more people these days think about it because there's a lot more diversity in the, the industry's bigger and we've had to draw in lot of different people from whiskey from uh winemaking okay. from every different industry uh even out of hospo we still a lot of a lot of brewers out of hospo who come across to the the dark side of production and uh i mean 
just sampling and tasting a whole bunch of different drinks is is really beneficial to uh, making interesting and well balanced beers. I reckon. Do you think that's just just is that all due to just the the sheer volume of um, of um, of craft breweries out there that are just dragging from other industries and. Absolutely, absolutely. There's also a passion project. I mean, we we don't we don't we're not in beer to make the big bucks. Uh, we're in it because we love it. We yep. love making things. Um, it is very much uh, yeah, an artisanal type uh, industry. Cool. So um, you're talking about making the big bucks. I know that it's uh, in craft. It's very very difficult. Um, obviously, the guys at Stone and Wool were probably the first. You know, really the first, maybe little creatures, but I think Stone and Wood were close to the first brewery to have a good exit, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, where do you see, um, where do you see the exits um, happening in um, in craft? Because I know that groups like Mighty Craft and Gage Roads and these kind of groups are popping up and they're starting to make some acquisitions in the space. Um, is that where you see it, or do you see it kind of? Do you see it going more to the majors or? Look, I I personally think the majors have. They've, they've filled their portfolios mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, I don't know that there'll be many more acquisitions from from the two majors. Um, I think, yeah, Mighty Craft, Gage Rose, these these larger players of the independent uh, craft beer um, tribe, yep. uh, places like that, they may be looking to acquire smaller brands. Uh, maybe some mid-sized brands might be looking to acquire a small to mid-sized brand in a different city. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't think there'll be a whole lot more movement. I think the last five years is kind of yeah, it's been epic. <laughs> yeah, it's been yeah, pretty consolidated. Yeah, cool. Um, I was having a look on 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 your website before, and um, had a look on Google and looked into your um, the design of your of your um, of your cans, etc. The designs are amazing. Who who designed everything? Because. Um, you know, you look at some, and some really go over the top, and um, it's just it's a bit much. Um, some 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 breweries, but looking at all your stuff, it's it's really cool. Like I was I was stunned by the quality of it. So who 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 started the design, and who who keeps it going? Oh, thanks very much. I appreciate that. It's always nice to hear because we I'm I'm pretty proud of it. That's it's amazing. I, um, really proud of how how the cans look, and also how they fit amongst the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work with a, a lady named Claudia. Her company's Cloudy & Co. She, uh, she has her own business. She's fantastic, an amazing designer, um, hasn't done beer before and doesn't want to do beer again. Uh, <laughs> How come? So she works in wine and they've got really long lead times and everything because they only make wine once a year. Uh, Whereas yeah. me, I change my mind every week. I'm like, Claudia, got a new idea. Let's do it. And she's like, "Oh God, Nick, slow down! I'm still working on the last three ones." Because you guys can make a, you guys can make a small shift to make a completely new beer, can't you? Absolutely. Yeah. We, we can brew beer every day of the week. We can brew a different beer every day of the week, and be ready within a month. Yeah, pretty much. Cool. Um, and so yeah, um, we released over fifty products last year. Like, it's a, it's a <laughs> lot of beer. Um, so she doesn't have the headspace or the time to deal with another brewer. Yeah. Uh, so she's like, "No, no." you're enough slow, <laughs> slow down uh, but it was our intention and she was recommended by a friend of mine who's a designer yep we're looking for someone to kind of put a different spin on beer uh, make it uh, more approachable more balanced uh, and just do something a little bit different yeah, uh, cool. a, lot, a lot of beer like you say it's pretty full on it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty masculine as well unfortunately a lot yep. of brewers it's changing 
especially around around the traps. Uh, it's changing, but for a long time it was really masculine, kind of yeah, just not approachable looking designs on beer cans. So we wanted to make something that everyone felt comfortable holding. Everyone felt comfortable picking off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. I, think, yeah. I think she's done it. She's done a great job. She's done a spectacular job. I mean, there's probably only a few um, a few brands that really stand out to me as um, stand out with that standing out, if that makes sense. I think the ones that really blow you, you know, smash you in the face are the ones that are a bit over the top. But, you know, I think about obviously yours and then you've got like you know, cans like Bolter. Bolter do a, a spectacular job with design as well, I think. A little bit understated, but very classic. I, I, really, I really think, yeah, she's done a spectacular job. Um, run me through, um, you know, I've, we talk about wholesale versus retail a lot in our business. And I think that you guys are obviously expanding your retail, um, to make sure that you can, you know, you can really drill it from the, the, um, uh, the warehouse in Richmond and expand that. Um, run me through the wholesale side of your business. Obviously there's been, you've copped a slap in the face over the last couple of years and we know that, um, Run me through the differences, um, you know, from bottle shops across to you know hospitality and um, you know kind of your, your and also your your kind of independence, which might fall under bottle shops. But um, can you give me a bit of a rundown on how those three have 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 fared over the last little bit? Yeah, sure can. Well, when we launched, so we launched in June twenty nineteen. Uh, we had eight months before COVID hit, so we kind of were just finding out finding our feet, and the plan was to focus on the hospitality side. Um, so we would do some wholesale. Uh, it would be mainly to make sure that we pulled through the bid pretty quick. And as a marketing tool, it was never going to be a money spinner. So it was to try to get the beer out and into people's hands to get them into our venue. So we, we, we never had the plan to do a core range that early on. So we're going to make two or three different beers every month and just sell them around to independents around Melbourne. Uh, then COVID hit and we no longer had a, a bar to sell our beer in and um, we presented so the number one reason we got a core range was we presented an opportunity to go into a Dan Murphy's mm-hmm. they turned a switch overnight and um, turned on uh, the ability to cut through all this red tape and get into some of your local Dan Murphy stores normally it was a two or three month wait and you go tick this box tick that box get this price and do this they just said no send us your beer We'll go in there a month later. It was in stores, that kind of thing. It was. How did that happen? I think they were working on a project to localize their offer mm-hmm. um, because they saw local bottle shops just taking over, and Dan Murphy's always want to be at the front of stuff. Mm-hmm. So they were working on that project already. They just turned it on a little bit early. So yeah, we got twenty Dan Murphys that were closest around us, delivered direct to store like we do with the independents, um, and they pretty much bought the beer that we said we had, um, and they continue to do so. So the reason we, we, we put a core range in is because in the, in the chains, you've got to have shelf presence. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, um, otherwise, you're just not going to sell any beer. So we decided to put them in a colored can instead yes. of just black and white, yep. and we had a core range. So we did the Lemon Farmhouse Ale, When Life Gives You Lemons, and uh, Skylight, which is an IPA. And so the core range is just purely so it's recognisable. When people go back to each um, retailer, they know, okay, that's Molly Rose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. Exactly. And it's also great to have a core range. And we're, 
I stick by them as two of our best beers we make, even though we release limited releases all the time that have got grapes in them and they've got carrots in them and they've got all sorts of crazy stuff and they're really delicious. But those two beers, I come back to them, I go, oh, shit, that's bloody good. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, they're, they're just great beers and so it's wonderful having them available year-round. They're always in my fridge. Um, cool. So, I mean, we've got the core range, uh, which then went out into Indies, independent bottle stores. Uh, Black Hearts and Sparrows are our best customer. They're fantastic. Um, so they're, I think they've got 13 stores now, uh, yeah. which is fantastic. And then, yeah, send the core range out. And then we still do our two or three limited releases every month. So bottle shops took off during COVID, as you guys yeah. would know. Um, On-premise, a little bit sad. Uh, there's a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but I, mean, I mean, having a look at bottle shops, I mean, we've got, I don't know, we've probably got about 11 or 1,200 bottle shops um, that are signed up on our system and their purchasing just went through the rails up by 35-odd percent yeah. through through COVID. So it's crazy numbers. Yeah, yeah bottle shops went crazy. Yeah. Uh, pubs, pretty sad state of affairs for them. Oh, yeah. Um, and a lot of breweries had a lot of beer in kegs, which you can't sell. So a lot of breweries had the same same issue. I know of one brewery in Melbourne that had 1,200 kegs that they could so Jesus. yeah, that's a, that's a lot of beer. And what's the um, what's the shelf life in a keg? Ah, uh, look, if it's refrigerated, mm. three months it's still tasting pretty good. But then at the end of that three months, there's going to be all of these semi-old, semi-not tasting good beers out there, and like pubs aren't going to want to buy that. They okay. want to, they want to restart with really nice fresh beer. So it's like it's it's what do you do with this do you hold on to and try and sell it at a discount or do you brew more beers exactly yeah do you try and um if you hold on to it and sell it at a discount are you, are you ruining your brand by getting shit beer out there kind of thing yeah exactly so we're lucky we didn't have because we had so many different lockdowns we kind of played a yeah. light on kegs throughout the, those couple of years so and we're pretty flexible we're pretty small so we're able to can out of kegs a couple of times yeah and just so you guys keep keep everything pretty nimble. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I mean, we're lucky that we've just started because we could just change the whole business on its head. Yeah. Um, and instead of having a venue where we sold all our beer, we went to a core range and started selling, uh, selling a whole bunch of cans everywhere. Yeah. Cool. So we bought a canning line as well, a little one. That means we could make a whole lot more different beers more often. Yeah. Awesome. The um. The the economics of a of a brewery are um, for me they're pretty interesting. They're very different to very different to a lot of other verticals, and you know probably similar to maybe some uh, manufacturing businesses as as it is, but very very diff- vastly different to you know the, hosp- the hospitality, um, you know the makeup of a hospitality business where you got your 30, 30, 30 and maybe you got some margin at the end. Maybe um, run me through what you you know. What you foresee being the, I guess those those kind of core metrics in um, and the unit economics in in, in breweries and um, and kind of um, where you where you are kind of maybe today and where you'd want to go. Obviously, volume brings on brings a lot more to the table and it gives you you know um, a huge benefit as far as margins concerned. But can you just give me a bit of a rundown on the on the economics of a brewery? Yeah, um, we're 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 different. We're really small. Um, and we make beer in a slightly different way to other people. We don't actually own a brew house. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you make beer, you use grain, hops, water, and yeast. You take that grain and you mash it all up with hot water and then you strain it out and you get some hot uh, liquid and you boil it. So that's called the, the brew house where you do all that. Yep. So 
we utilize other people's brew house space uh, and brew there, put it into a stainless steel IBC, so a big stainless steel square pallet tank, put it in the back of the truck, bring it to our brewery, pump it into our tanks, and then we ferment it and package it on our site. Okay. So let's say we've got six tanks. If a beer takes three to four weeks to ferment, you might only be brewing once or twice a week. Okay. Because you've got no tank space. Yep. Uh, so, so this allows you guys to have that flexibility to have, have some spare tank space because you're only doing the end of the kind of, or halfway through the process. Exactly. So we've got a really small warehouse. We've got just the tanks in there and probably 75% of your startup cost would go towards the brew house that makes the sticky liquid. And there's no other business, probably 75%. So there's no other business out there that you would spend 75% of your capital on something that you (laughs) use once or twice a week. But that's for a small brewery. So we've only got six tanks. If you've got 12 tanks, completely different because then you use them four, five, six times a week. Yep. Uh, but yeah, we brew We brew once a week. We're, at the moment, we're utilizing uh, Bodrigi's Brew House. They're great guys around the corner from us in uh, Abbotsford. I was going to say, is there um, is there a, um, are there businesses that are just purely a brew house? So like that, that just do brew house for a number of different... Nah, no, no, no. So this is my, my, my uh, technique is... is not unique, but it's quite rare. Okay. Cool. Um, so Bodrigi, like they up until recently, they had a certain amount of tanks that they don't brew on Mondays. The brew house just sits there. So I go in there, pay them some money, get okay, their staff cool. to work, like helps pay for their staff, helps pay for the services, and gives them a bit of extra cash on a Monday when they wouldn't normally be using their brew house. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so it's like a win-win. So we've got this really small site, brew once a week, um, and that's about all we can fit on our current site. We're yeah, pretty okay. small. Uh, so for us, the best way for us to sell our beer is in a glass. Yes. So put it in a glass. There's a pint. Take it. Get your cash straight away. Great <laughs> yeah. cash flow. And, you, and your margins are healthy. Margins really healthy. And yeah, but, but cash flow is that, is, that, is that critical thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So in a glass across the table, there you go. I'll have some money. Yes. Transfer. Now Square do uh, transfers over the weekend. So like you're not even waiting till Monday yep. for, your, for your payment. Uh, so fantastic for the business for many, many reasons. Uh, second, probably second best is, um, I don't know, it's hard retail or e-commerce for us. So like people coming in and buying a four pack or walking away. Great. Yep. E-commerce, also excellent. So people come into so people come into the brewery and buy a slab or a six pack yep. or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. E- e-commerce. Um, so they're probably on par as well, mm-hmm. which is great because you get you keep all your margin. Yes. Um, and for us, I like that too because it's one step closer to your customer. It means they're getting our beer fresher and better than they could anywhere else, which has gone on a truck, to a warehouse, up to them, and it sat on someone's shelf for a bit Yeah, longer. for sure. Whereas from us, we know it's fresh, we know it's great, but taking it straight to your door or you're picking it up straight from us. Yeah, so so, like, you, so you're losing. So you give it to a you, if you pass it off to a retailer as a wholesale customer, you're dealing. If the customer's going to get it later, so they're going to they're not going to get as fresh a beer, and you're going to lose margin. Yeah, we lose depending on the place twenty to forty percent. So anyone that's anyone that um, bothers to listen to this, if you want to buy beer from Molly Rose, go straight to the cellar door. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So so they're they're our best, and then. Um, it depends on the beer next. It's like, uh, cakes are great because it's, it's, it's fantastic to sell 50 litres of beer in one go. Yep. But I mean, if, if that venue isn't going to pull through a keg in a month, then it's not great to sell it to them. 
because the beer's probably not tasting great at the end of it. And then, yeah. And they probably struggle to pay up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a toss-up. Uh, a lot of businesses are very cake-heavy, a lot of them are very, very pack-heavy, and we kind of float in between. Yeah, cool. Um, I've got only a few more questions left. Um, uh, have you got business partners? I'm, I'm always interested. You, you said you, you went and got some investment um, early on in the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, do you? Uh, so have you got business partners um, and, and kind of how involved in the business are they? Uh, so, yeah, a couple of investors, three parties, mm-hmm. uh, friends and family. Um, really, really lucky to have these investors. They are all experts in their field, uh, which is helpful yeah. for advice. And they're the type of investor that I am... Um, won't speak to for six months, then we'll have three or four conversations in the next month. Yes. Uh, so they're there to lean on if I need help. Um, but if I don't, I send them an email every now and then, check in, and they, yeah, they're great. Cool. And um, and their backgrounds, um, if you don't mind me asking, are they lawyers, are they accountants? I mean, what's there's, a, their... there's a couple from finance, uh, yep. and then there's an engineer. Yeah, cool. So obviously, um, you know, obviously going to business, all these extra people... They actually, they're bloody important having a couple of experts around you. Now, they'll only chip in every now and then, which that's all you need them for because you don't want someone to get too involved. But um, absolutely, it's good having, you know, it's good having your phone there just to kind of pick up and, and ask those kind of key questions. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really lucky. I had a great mentor who's also very smart, very knowledgeable, experienced businessman. And he, he um, really drove home the fact that there's money. When I was looking for investors, he's like, Nick, there's money. And then there's good money. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, money is cheap. It's everywhere. You can get it. Don't worry about that. And at the time, I was so poor and just wanted to start <laughs> my brewery. I was like, Pete, I'd take any money. He's like, no, there's good money and you need good money. And I now understand that good money comes with great advice and great um, connections. Uh, and they are vital to making a successful business. Agreed. And also the confidence. Also, good money is um, people that are confident to let you get on with it. I think... Um, People that give money, it's 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 hard to make money. So people that give you money, you you know they're well within their rights to trying to be overbearing and, and you know all the rest of it. But if you can get good people that can give you money without getting too involved, I think that's that's so bloody important. Absolutely, yeah, definitely, definitely. Cool. So what's um what's next for you guys? I mean, obviously you're you're expanding the space, but what's you know where do you see the business in in twenty four months? Um, twenty four months, we'll have our uh, our new venue up and running. Um, we will have okay 24 months I know it's a fair way away Jesus what a, what <laughs> have a, a think about where you were 24 months ago what a trick question <laughs> um, yeah the, the new venue will be well and truly up and up and running uh, it'll be have a hatted restaurant in it yep. we'll, we'll say that um, and then we'll be making great beer we'll be widely known across Melbourne hopefully for, for great beer across Australia for great non-alcoholic beer Yep. Um, and possibly looking towards building our own brew house somewhere. Yeah, cool. Uh, non-alcoholic beer. Do you see that as a as a um, obviously you know heaps normal etc. They've they've nailed it over the last twelve months, probably twenty four months. Um, do you guys you, you think that that's a, a key area moving forward? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Non-alcoholic beer is great. Um, there's a there's an opportunity at the moment to make something that. Look, we're in we're in an alcohol industry. It's not an inherently healthy industry. Uh, like great things come from going out and have a beer with your mates. It's fantastic. It's a social lubricant. It's great for everyone's mental health to, to do that. But alcohol causes harm. We can't 
shy away from that. So to be able to make a product that is actively helping people uh, reduce their drinking, increase health, increase the health, uh, healthiness. Uh, it's fantastic. It's, I'm, I'm really stoked. And so it started when I, I actually, I didn't believe in them up until about 12 months ago. It was pretty much 12 months to the day. I didn't believe in not alcohol beers. I was like, ah, rubbish, whatever. Uh, had a one-year-old at the time and going to Holgate, who were mates of mine, and they were making a few different for not alcohol beers. They kept giving them to me, giving them to me. I kept put them in the fridge. I just grab one out of the fridge and drink it. And I go, oh, actually, I don't feel like drinking another beer now. That's, that's kind of craved, finished, hit my cravings and I don't need it anymore. Finish a long, hard day, especially working in a brewery. All you want to do is drink a fucking beer. <laughs> so these non-alcoholic beers made me, made, I could cut down on my beer drinking and I could have a few non-alcoholic days during the week, which is what I goal, my goal is. And I go, well, if I'm enjoying these beers, if they have a purpose for me in my life, why not make one? Because like, I've got a brewery because I love beer. I love making beer. So I decided to go out and make a couple of non-alcoholic beers for Dry July last year. I think I decided um, June 4th or June 5th that I wanted to do a beer for Dry July and turned it around, got it out at the start of July, um, which is bloody, bloody good. And what's it called? Uh, we've got Citra, Citra, which is a citrus, Citra IPA mm-hmm. uh, in an orange can. And then we've got Strawberry Sublime, which is a, a strawberry and lime gosa. It's a little bit salty, a little bit sour. And strawberry and limes. Yeah, cool. So, so, so you think um, one of the one of the key, um, I guess, future areas of growth in in brewers is kind of moderation. Definitely, there's a trend in there's a trend in booze for health. Uh, you see it in wine as well with non-alcs, and then everyone's reducing their alcohol uh, contents. It, I mean, it, it makes sense. You want your customers to be healthy. You want them to be happy. Um, so yeah. A lot more people are looking towards the lower alcohol end, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm proud of our beers. I think they taste great, and they are they get giving people a healthier option. And you said a year ago that you had a one year old, so that means now you've got a two year old. I do yeah, um, uh, boy or girl? Little boy. Awesome. And and what's his name? Ah, uh, Seb. Seb. Um, and uh, what do you want for him? I know it's a hard question. <laughs> what do I want for him? Um. Obviously, you and your wife—you've both got your own businesses, and yep. you know it's a—it's—it's it's a tough gig at the best of times having your own business in any industry. Um, you've got a little kid. You've got a little kid. I don't know if you've got more on the way, but um, you know, I mean, run me through what the next you know five years looks like for, for him. Do you are you going to stay? Do you do you think you're going to kind of stay in stay in Melbourne? Are you going to expand out? Like, what are you, what, what are you thinking? Yeah. So five years time. I, we're gonna, we, we're in Melbourne now. I, are, you from, are you from Melbourne originally? I'm not from Melbourne, I'm from South Australia. We're okay. in Melbourne now, we make beer in Melbourne. I, I'm of the opinion that you should sell your beer as close to your brewery as possible. Because mm-hmm. um, why put it on trucks headed to Sydney when there's breweries in Sydney already making great beer? Um, and you said it's best in the glass. Exactly. The so yeah, <laughs> w- want to sell a lot of beer in Melbourne. Uh, in five years time hopefully we have a couple more venues maybe we'll put a venue in another city uh, to do something similar that we are at the moment but I think a lot of breweries think that type of thing so we'll just we'll, we'll reach every opportunity at it uh, as it comes we'll have a brewery built by then hopefully uh, where, you, where you guys are doing the end to end and yeah exactly yeah. so we can brew make, make a larger volume package it there 
and have a bit more space. Because currently we're, we're pretty tight on space. Um, <laughs> for Seb, I guess we just want to provide him with the opportunities, as I think any parent mm-hmm. wants to. Great opportunities uh, to do whatever he wants to do. Awesome. Um, at the moment, he spends a lot more time at the brewery than he does in a winery. So okay. <laughs> uh, he is definitely winning. That's good. It's uh, positive. Yeah. Yep. Uh, whenever he sees cans, he says, Daddy, it's a beer. We're his first way beer. <laughs> Not far off. Not far off. Um, uh, last one, mate. Can you tell um, anyone that's listening, can you tell them exactly where, um, exactly the address of, of, of Molly Rose, um, when you're open, all the rest of it? Yeah, sure. Uh, we're at uh, 279 Wellington Street, Collingwood. Uh, we're open Thursday to Sunday um, afternoons, evenings. Uh, come on down, grab some beers. We've got some food on. In the future, we'll have a full kitchen, so we'll be running a whole bunch of stuff, and we've opened longer. So we've got Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. You better follow as we build the site, and as we get closer, I may announce a, an opening date if I believe that we're actually going to open the venue. What's the Instagram handle? Uh, at Molly Rose Brewing. Awesome. Mate, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me. Awesome. Cheers.